and welcome to the Zoe Health Podcast, a conversation where we explore topics that affect women's health and wellness and matter to you. I'm your host, Dr. Nontlantlas Tole, co-founder of Zoe Health, your all-in-one women's health and wellness platform. We love hearing from you and interacting with you, so please join the conversation in our community chat to let us know what your views are or to share your own stories about the topic we'll be covering today. For more information, please visit www.zoehealth.com. Zoe is spelled Z-O-I-E. We hope you love listening to the podcast. Please remember, any information we share here is not a substitute for a consultation with a qualified health professional. So make sure you book your next consult soon. Let's get started. I am super excited about our topic today. We are talking cervical cancer and cervical cancer is completely preventable if you go for screening in time and often enough. This is a cancer that can be prevented and therefore a cancer that can be eliminated in our lifetime. I have two amazing guests with me today, both powerhouses in their own rights, experts in their field, and I'm so, so, so grateful that they were able to join us today. The first of these is Dr. Nono Simelela, who is a special advisor to the Director General at the World Health Organization. She is the Assistant Director General for Strategic Programmatic Priorities, Cervical Cancer Elimination, and she co-wrote the organization's global strategy to eliminate cervical cancer. And prior to this, She was the Assistant Director General for Family, Women, Children and Adolescents. And she was the first Black female gynecologist to qualify in South Africa. So, so happy to have her here. My next guest is Dr. Klenisele Diale, affectionately known as Dr. Q to her patients. Um, Dr. Q is a fertility specialist who runs her own practice called Family Matters Fertility Center. She did her fellowship at Steve Biko Academic Hospital and started her master's in reproductive medicine at the University of Pretoria, completing it and her certification in reproductive medicine and endocrinology through the Colleges of Medicine South Africa in 2019. My goodness. Ladies, your qualifications, your expertise speak for themselves. I'm so excited to kick this conversation off with you today. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, So if we could get started, I'll start with you, Dr. Sinelela. If you could tell us, let's start at the beginning, what cervical cancer is and how, what causes it? How does it come about? Thank you very much uh, to Zoe Health for providing this platform um, and for bringing a fellow panelist who's really powerful as well. And uh, just for talking about something that for a very long time has been taboo uh, as far as, you know, uh, women's issues are concerned. Uh, it's a very difficult disease uh, when it's advanced, but it's really an interesting disease in that it starts as a sexually transmitted infection. And if not dealt with in time, it progresses to become a cancer. So it means that in the health system, it's quite difficult to follow the continuum uh, and be able to chase women from the time of adolescence to the time that they present with cervical cancer. Um, You get cervical cancer, obviously, first and foremost, it's a sexually transmitted infection. It's um, caused by what we call the human 
papilloma virus, uh, and there are many types of human papilloma viruses that are out there, but not all of them are linked to cervical cancer. Uh, there are what we call high-risk types, uh, particularly type 16 and 18, and a few others that lead to cervical cancer if the woman doesn't clear them. Usually, many women, almost everybody who's sexually active at some point will contract um, HPV infection. Uh, this is how common it is, but most women clear that from their own system, through their own immune um, systems. And then those that are unfortunate to not be able to clear it and to be infected with the high-risk ones will slowly, over a period of sometimes 10 to 15 years, progress to get advanced cervical cancer, at which stage now you will be seeing the symptoms, you will be knowing that there is a problem. And that is also the real challenge with this cancer is that the early stages are quite silent and the symptoms are really symptoms that you could easily ignore. Uh, so that's basically um, the relationship between the infection with human papillomavirus and its advance to cervical cancer. It's probably the only cancer that's known to have that causal link. And for women, probably the only cancer in women that's both preventable and potentially curable if diagnosed early enough. So it's a challenge, but it also provides us unique opportunities to stop the large numbers of women dying as a result of cervical cancer. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually quite crazy because, um, you know, it's the second most common cancer in women in South Africa, but also the leading cause of cancer-related deaths of women in South Africa. So, um, you know, when you know that it's a cancer that's killing so many women in South Africa, all over the world, actually, and it's preventable and also treatable. It's quite, it's quite amazing that um, you know it's it's so high there in the stats. What what do you think about that, Dr. Q? What would you say is the reason? Um, you know, a cancer that's that you can prevent for and also potentially treat is the number one leading cause of cancer-related deaths in South African women. Yes, it's a very worrisome uh, statistic, really, because if you look, we lose close to 3,000 women every year, annually. You know, 3,000 women uh, die from cervical cancer in South Africa, and we're talking about 300,000 globally or internationally. So if uh, such a cancer can take so many mothers and grandmothers and, and sisters, why, the question will be, why are people not aware or why is something not being done? Now, I'll say there are many causal or uh, related factors due to this. Yeah? One of them can be patient-related factors. Patient-related factors will be patients presenting too late. Patients knowing, as mentioned, that um, the early stages of the condition um, does not start off as gross cancer. You know, there are stages. This is a disease that actually gives us a lot of opportunities to treat because it starts off as an, a simple STI, which is human papilloma virus. You get infected and nothing is happening. You're absolutely asymptomatic 
for years for that matter, then only the cell starts get, getting abnormal. And then, you know, when we discuss pop smears, we'll say there's grade one, grade two, grade three abnormal cells. This also can be there for years, but there are no symptoms that women would mostly present with at the early stages. So women who do not go to check for cervical cancer uh, or do pop smears, then do not know. So they are sitting for years with this um, infection, which then after a long infection and the changing of the cells, it's like a whole development, then it eventually leads to cancer. By the time women start having symptoms, where they now start getting up and saying, look, I have uh, bleeding after intercourse, or I just have this abnormal foul-smelling uh, foul discharge, or pain during sexual intercourse, whatever it may be, any kind of abnormal bleeding, then it's it, it's a bit late because then the, it means the cancer has developed, it has already altered the cells, and it's already chowing on the mouth of the cervix. So those are patient-related factors, which... Uh, uh, lead us to the importance of screening when there is nothing, when there are no symptoms. Go check up when you feel fine. And then um, going to policy-related factors, which then involves our government um, in South Africa. If you notice, the statistics are actually quite high in low socioeconomic areas, uh, patients, uh, people with a low socioeconomic status. And this is because they are relying on the government sector to provide medical care for them. If you have a 25-year-old going to a local clinic right now saying, I want a pap smear, she will be returned. If a if a, if a, if a, a 25-year-old goes to a is watching us now and learning about this and she's scared, maybe she's even had other STIs before, maybe she's even HIV. Uh, positive. And she goes to a local clinic because our policy actually offers a woman three pap smears in a lifetime, first at the age of 30. Because I uh, uh, probably from the understanding that it takes about 10 years to 15 for the cancer to develop. So now we are having kids right now with this lockdown, with the um, the past year from April, from March last year till April this year, we have high statistics of teenage uh, pregnancies that have shot up, you know, and then if these girls at the, I was talking to a colleague just yesterday telling me they are busy with 13 year olds and 14 year olds in, in, in Tembisa hospital, you know, uh, who are currently pregnant. You know, so if these girls are delivering babies at the age of 13, 14, in 10 years time, they'll be 24. High risk that they contracted and most of them do have HIV. Um, high risk that they are probably having HPV already by the age of 24 they probably would be at high risk of having cervical cancer. And if we're only going to start testing or screening for cervical cancer at the age of 30 for all uh, low socioeconomic status individuals, then it's a bit too late. But patients with medical aid just rock up because they want discovery points and momentum points. They even want to do pap smears every year. Even when you tell them your HPV is negative, you can test after three to five years. They come the following year because I need my points. You understand? So they keep screening because the medical aids then they are paying for such and the medical aids are able to cover such costs. So then we catch these things very early. 
When we catch them, we treat before they get to cancerous uh, stages. So those are, are policy or government-related factors and others are really patient-related um, when they just present too late. Sure, that's that's quite um, that's quite tough when you know you rely on your, your public health system to help you, and um, you have that type of experience that you're describing there, and um, Dr. Q. Um, Dr. Smiller, mm-hmm. maybe we can talk about the first line of defense when it comes to acquiring HPV. So, how do you first of all prevent yourself from getting HPV? And let's also maybe link that to to the age of when you should be getting vaccinated. Okay. You know, like uh, we've said earlier, you only really get infected through sexual intercourse. So, you know, if we go back to the basics, like we used to with HIV, what we advise parents, teachers, um, care providers of young girls, is to encourage them to delay sexual debut. That's probably an old-fashioned message, but it's still a safe message. So the later you start, the better, uh, because the vaccine that is available, called the HPV vaccine, uh, there are a few different ones made by different manufacturers, um, is the one tool that can prevent uh, young girls from acquiring high-risk HPV. So that is the tool that is available. But sadly, in the same way as you see what's happening with the COVID pandemic is that it's not easily available for low-income and even middle-income countries like South Africa because you actually have almost like a monopoly in that there's only been two companies in the last two, 20 years that have uh, produced this, uh, this uh, vaccine uh, and are selling it at an incredibly high price for developed nations, uh, but you don't get it easily in, in low-income countries. So that's the first line of defense is get your girls uh, vaccinated before a sexual debut. If you know, I mean, our rates of teenage pregnancy in South Africa show us that even by the age of 11, uh, girls are already uh, engaged in, in sexual intercourse. So if you know the trends in your country, you must go as low as possible. There are countries where they are already vaccinating nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds, judging only from the cultural issues, you know, where you have child marriage, for instance, you know that these communities are already engaged in in sexual intercourse. So we advise that you get young girls to be vaccinated. Um, At the moment, WHO advises two doses, uh, six months apart. Uh, But because there's such a shortage right now of this vaccine, uh, there has been um, a review of the guidance to say, you know, you can extend the interval uh, between the two doses to allow as many uh, more young girls to get the vaccine as possible. Then we advise, obviously, safer sex, especially in a country with high HIV, because you know it doesn't necessarily protect you from acquiring HPV infection, but at least it protects you from other sexually transmitted infections. We advise young girls to not smoke, 
uh, because that has been shown to create a higher risk as well. And obviously to not have as many sexual partners uh, as possible, you know, fewer partners, less of a risk, uh, but, you know, it's not always easy uh, in this day and age. So your first line of defense, I would say, is an HPV vaccine. Get the HPV vaccine out. You know, we've had uh, access to that in South Africa, but it stopped, I think, because of the costs. So we've got to find a way uh, to get those vaccines into the country again and vaccinate as many of the young girls in, in school as possible uh, to make sure that we can have a generation of young girls who will not ever worry about having cervical cancer. So that's the first line of defense. Yes, so I suppose that's that's exactly why it's, it's a cancer that you can eliminate because to vaccinate all the girls, the young girls as they grow and the ones who are coming after them, got a better chance of actually having no cervical cancer because all the, the young women and the young girls of the world are, are vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dr. Q, if I'm a young woman and I'm listening to us here, and say, okay, I haven't heard about um, cervical cancer. I haven't heard about HPV. I have already started having sex. Does that disqualify me from getting the vaccine? No, it does not uh, disqualify you. Um, the vaccine is available from the uh, ages of nine. And the one that has the four types of uh, HPV variants uh, that are protected or HPV types then you can take it all the way to the ages of 45. So as long as you have not yet contracted that type of HPV, you can still get the vaccine. So the vaccine is uh, preventative uh, because again, you find young girls that have been sexually active already uh, currently not having HPV. There are women who then change sexual partners and then with the next partner, they find themselves having HPV. So it would be beneficial for any woman who can afford for now, it's only available in the private sector. So for any woman who can afford uh, to actually buy themselves the vaccine, one with the four variants, it's the doses given at zero months, two months and six months. And they can, it's about a thousand rand per dose. So we're talking a budget of about 3,000 rand. And as a young 24-year-old said to me, what is 3,000 rand compared to cancer? You know, and she was like, that's what I'm going to be spending my money on, you know. And she even asked if her partner could take it. And for men, it's available till the ages of 26. So men can also vaccinate because it really takes two to tango. So if I'm worried now about the fact that, you know, maybe I've been exposed, um, what do I do if I'm thinking about taking the vaccine, but I'm not sure if I already have HPV? Because I know, um, you know, HPV can, if you get the infection, it can lie dormant. So what 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 are my options there, Dr. Q, if, if I would like to get the vaccine? I've got my 3,000. I want to protect myself. But I'm worried that maybe I've already been exposed and yeah. So there's a test. There's a test for HPV DNA, which we do during the pap smear. So when we test for pap smear, we test for abnormal cells, which is cytology to check if there are already changes that are caused by the virus. And then we can check for the presence of the virus DNA itself. 
So the most uh, common ones, as mentioned, is 16 and 18. So that's the one that we mainly check for that the vaccines actually cover. But there is high risk uh, HPV, which mostly they check 16, 18 and 45. And then there is other types of HPV that are high risk, which are not specifically covered by the vaccine. But sometimes there is that type of counter um, relation um, when you are vaccinated. So if we test and you already have HPV 16 and 18, um, usually we would not recommend that you then take the vaccine because the vaccine is to prevent not to treat. It's not treatment. It's to prevent something that you have not been infected by. Yeah. So if we test and do a DNA test, then, and we find that, okay, you do not, uh, you are not already exposed to uh, HPV, then you can still take the vaccine. Okay. So what I'm understanding from you is that when you're doing a cervical cancer screening for HPV, you have the pap smear, and then you have the DNA test. So, Dr. Smelala, please talk us through not only the process of what happens when you go for a pap smear, but the difference between the cells that you look for, the cytology, as Dr. Q mentioned, and then the, the, the testing for the DNA. What are the differences there? And maybe also talk us through the process of how what happens at a pap smear if, if there's anyone who has never had one. Okay. I also just want to, before I talk about the process of uh, having a, a, a pap smear, just to add also that um, although, you know, today's talk and the WHO's focus with this global strategy for the elimination of cervical cancer is focused on young women and girls, we know that the HPV vaccine does benefit boys as well because it does work against warts. Um, you can also get valval and anal um, uh, cancer from HPV infection. Uh, so, you know, we've been challenged about why we are excluding young boys. And we, the, basics, you know, the, the basic answer is that because of the shortage and that our focus is on cervical cancer. But where there is a surplus, uh, we encourage that boys get the vaccine as well. So the process of getting a pap smear, I think it's probably one of the barriers that women have, have mentioned, uh, because as I said, you know, uh, it's not always comfortable. Uh, women traditionally would not want to, to be examined uh, in that way. I mean, it's easy when you're pregnant, you know, you know, why is it that you're going to be examined by your doctor and things like that. But when you've got a vaginal discharge, you're not sure, it's not comfortable. So you would then, you know, obviously we, we should take a history, we should find out what else is going on. Uh, we should find out if you are using contraceptive and, you know, all the, the things that come with looking after a young woman holistically. And then, you know, the examination itself involves, um, you know, you have to lie down on the couch uh, for a, a, an examination. We often start with a pap smear because we don't want to disturb the lie of the cells, you know, as Dr. Q was explaining earlier. So you put in the speculum and then you will wipe or, you know, use the right tool to sort of swipe 
um, we want to get to the transformation zone, you know, so you don't really want to go on the outer side of the, of the cervix. We want to go in there where the changes happen. And then you do the wiping uh, with, with the, the tool. It's usually, um, a, a, it's almost like a little stick. Some of are made in soft wood. Others are just made almost like the, the current test kits that we're using for COVID. And in fact, it's a good opportunity, you know, the platforms that we're using to test for COVID can be used. Um, and then with the pap smear, obviously, you can either do a lab, um, liquid-based cytology, or you just you can put it on a, on a smear and then it goes off to be tested. And that very same specimen, as Dr. Q mentioned, can then be tested on, on a molecular platform to look at whether or not you've got the high-risk HPV. So for me, um, having started so long in this profession, I, I find that the more women talk about it, the more you know, sexual health is becoming less taboo, uh, the more people are comfortable with coming for the test. But what's interesting, um, uh, Dr. Sitole, what I want to mention is that there's also the possibility of self-sampling, we call it, where women don't have to come into the, into the clinic. And if you're comfortable and you know what you're doing, you can just squat at home and you use the very same diagnostic tool, which is like a little swab at the end, and you can just go inside the cervix and take a, a sample yourself, put it in the right tool and send it off. So we've been doing these kinds of uh, pilots across the world, uh, primarily in sub-Saharan Africa, to deal with this issue of taboos, you know, women do not wanting to come in, women not having the resources to come into the clinics to see the uptake. And I'm happy to report that the, 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 the research shows that the quality of that self-sampled test is the same, you know, so you don't do any less um, by doing it yourself as a woman as compared to a test done by a qualified service provider. So we want to move closer and closer to making this kind of examination simpler for women so that you take control of your own well-being. And as long as you know, this is my time now to go for the test. And if you're comfortable, you just do it yourself. You send it off to the doctor who sends it off to the lab, or maybe you are able to send it to the lab yourself and there's a system to get your results back, that's where we want to go. So we encourage women to come back because that's also a gap, lost to follow up. And that's also an issue in South Africa is that there are so many pap smears, the results of which come back, but the women don't come back to get their results so that they know what needs to be done. So we really need to simplify the whole process in the public sector that women can come in. We are aiming through the strategy that we have released in WHO to have a single visit, screen, test, treat. And that would be the best where the woman comes in. We are promoting the use of the HPV DNA because it's the sharpest, most accurate tool. And if it's positive, we say immediately, let's look inside to see if you already have a lesion. And if we can see something, we immediately remove it 
uh, with the tools that we have at Oza, so that we can truncate that time frame between waiting for my result and then the smear result goes somewhere else and things like that. So we're working on that, uh, and I hope you know that uh, things will improve in the public sector in our country. Thank you. Okay, thank you, for that, Dr. Simela. Dr. Q, so what I'm understanding from uh, what you're saying and what Dr. Simela is saying is that if I do an, a pap smear and my cells look normal, I'm not in the clear yet, right? Because I could still have HPV, but maybe it hasn't developed to a point where my cells could be affected. So how often should I be coming to have a look and test? And which of the tests should I be doing? Should we be co-testing? Or, you know, which of those is the better one for, for your particular age group, maybe life stage? Is there, is there can you comment on that? Okay, so the um, uh, gold standard, maybe, if I can put it that way, would be actually to focus on HPV DNA testing. Um, because then if we know that you have the HPV DNA, we can also know uh, if it's um, the high risk or the non-high risk type or what's going on, and then we can treat from there. But again, I'll just like to make things a bit more practical and tell you that uh, if we test just for the cells alone, just to check if there are abnormal cells without checking whether there is HPV or not, we're talking in the private sector plus minus 250 rand. And uh, that's what the government also affords. Then a screening, you can imagine 250 rand per woman, per pap smear, just checking the cells. Now we've got millions of women in the country that uh, may be needing this. So that's why resources actually becomes a problem. Then when we're looking at adding uh, HPV DNA, we're talking plus minus an additional uh, 400 rand. So then there is what we call a, com a combined screening where you test uh, for the abnormal cells and the DNA, HPV DNA, uh, in one sample, in one sitting. And there, we then it means you are spending plus minus 650 rand. So that's the practicality of things. And if you do test for abnormal cells and HPV, and it remains normal, you don't have HPV and you don't have abnormal cells, then your pap smears can be done uh, up or repeated every five years at least. Um, so we usually just say come back after three years and then you can repeat your pap smear uh, every three years. Um, but the recommendation is actually uh, at least five yearly. If you don't have HPV, you've tested and there's no HPV, then you can repeat after five years. And then for women who are HIV positive, because this... Um, virus makes it and, and then getting HPV makes it a high risk for women to contract HPV and also to quickly convert to or develop into cervical cancer, then the recommendation is that they do their smears annually. Every year, if a woman is HIV positive, it's recommended that she doesn't miss a pap smear because things could be missed. And this is if she's testing for just the cytology or the abnormal cells without uh, doing HPV. And then uh, other women of low immune system as well are also recommended from other illnesses, are also recommended to have an annual pap smear. And then uh, other women in general can then do their pap smears at least every three years. Yes. 
So if you have a negative HPV uh, DNA test, then a five-year interval is acceptable. All right. So if I've already established that, you know, I have maybe some type of one of the strains that causes cervical cancer, um, I need to just keep going back every five years to make sure that it's not developing into something that's going to become problematic. So if you already have an abnormal, that now is an abnormality. If you already know that there is HPV infection, then our recommendation is that at least once a year, go and check that the cells have not become abnormal. So if you have a low immune system, if you're HIV positive, if you've had a previous abnormal pap smear, be it cells or HPV uh, DNA positive or anything that was detected in your pap smear, then you need to go annually to check. Uh, depending also on the type of abnormal cells, if we find that you've got maybe a level one abnormality or an unreliable, then we even say come back after four to six months instead of waiting the whole year. But if it's just that you have a certain type of high risk HPV, then we say at least come annually so that we check and detect the changes early. So there are women whom you find they probably have HPV 16, but the cells are, are normal. They come back the following year, they've got HPV 16, and um, the cells are also uh, have started now to become abnormal. Then um, we or any other type of high risk HPV, then you find that the cells have become abnormal. Then we go on to put them under the microscope and check for the abnormal cells. And we are able to remove the abnormal cells before they get into uh, develop into cancer. So now you're talking about um, about removing the cells. So Dr. Tinella, I've now tested positive. I've gone for my pap smear, done the cytology, and my cells are looking a little bit abnormal. What what happens? What happens to me after that? What are my options then? Your your options, you know, if if you've you've done your your pap smear, you've got abnormal cells, you tested, you know, and things don't look good. In the private sector and even in the public sector, you, you, we can subject you to what we call col colposcopy. Uh, and a colposcopy gives you high resolution. You are able to see. Um, and with that examination, you are able then to remove, as Dr. Q said, any abnormal cells that are found there. If on, on colposcopic examination, you know, there isn't any cellular change, then there is no justification, you know, for you to be subjected to removal of, of normal cells, as it were. But colposcopy, you are able to see and you are able to actually treat uh, at the same time. So, you know, the term terminologies and ways of doing um, uh, removal, and it's easy. The most important thing is that once you've removed that abnormal part of the cervix, you've got to send it obviously to, to, to the, the laboratory, to the pathologists, for them to look and tell you that you've removed everything. Because sometimes, you know, a little bit of that abnormal cell can, rem can remain and then progress to advanced cervical cancer. So you still have opportunities, like I said, you know, be be between the first um, exposure or diagnosis to making sure that this disease is completely removed from your body before it invades 
other parts of, of your lower your lower reproductive system, and then it becomes difficult to cure. I do want to get into the reproductive aspect with Dr. Q, but before I move on, Dr. Smilala, so I've had these lesions removed. Am I in the clear now? What what happens? I mean, do I do I need to go back? Can the lesions develop again? It's better to go back. You know, like as Dr. Q said, if you the DNA is negative and you, you know, it's got a very strong negative predictive value, as you know, so you come back after five years. And just recently, um, it well, as recent as, you know, a couple of years now that we've been doing studies on women who are HIV positive, we can actually say that we've, it's been confirmed that they, the risk is sixfold. So with those, uh, we've got to screen earlier and be more aggressive because they also develop aggressive uh, cervical cancer uh, at a younger age. So now you've gone in, you've done a colposcopy, we've removed those uh, abnormal cells. It's much safer to come back every uh, three years or if you're worried, every year because something abnormal has been found. And, you know, it's very easy uh, for, for sometimes for these cells to come back. There are women that are unlucky, you know, and I've known a few that have had actually part of their whole cervix removed. And then unfortunately you found that the abnormal cells had already spread to the ovary or things like that. But if they had come back for regular checkups, probably that would have been that, that would have been picked up. You know, so the, the frequency really, I would say for myself, you know, if I've had an abnormal cell and it's been removed, I'd go to my doctor annually. It's expensive. I think in the in the public sector, we would say come back every three years or every two years if you can. Uh, but we've got to follow up. Uh, we've got to follow up regularly because it's like I say we've said earlier. It is potentially curable if we found find it earlier. Doctor Q, so let's get into the reproductive aspect. So I've got HPV or cervical cancer. How does that first of all affect my fertility? What about my baby if I'm pregnant, if I have a vaginal birth? Um, and also the third point of that, if I have been vaccinated as a young woman, does that offer my baby any protection? Those antibodies that get passed on from the mother to the child, maybe in breast milk or in, in, in utero, the baby's still growing in the womb. Okay, so when you do have uh, HPV, it's very important to note that HPV is a sexually transmitted infection. So these uh, uh, infections actually have cousins and friends and neighbors and all of that. So they usually don't go alone. So it's very important to check because then um, most women, you find that there's HPV and HIV together or H hepatitis B virus and these other ones. So uh, the mere fact that one does have HPV then may put one at a risk of possibly having had already other forms of STIs that they are not aware of. So if that is, a, is the case where one has had other STIs, we can speak of chlamydia, there's gonorrhea and others, 
then then specifically those are the ones that affect the reproductive system so it's mainly the cousins not specifically hpv hpv virus has an affinity for the cells of the cervix and that's why it actually leads to cervical cancer then the cousins thereof which are other stis then would go through the cervix they go up into the lining of the womb and cause what we call cervicitis and endometritis which is the infection or inflammation of the inside of the womb it goes up to the fallopian tube all these other stis and cause what we call salpingitis which is inflammation of the fallopian tubes and we know that the fallopian tubes are the factory where the baby is made so that's how fertility then gets affected so if other uh, infections have entered the body and have affected your fallopian tubes then you find that the fallopian tubes are obstructed or blocked then that causes or leads to infertility where you find that the sperm does not meet with the egg that is released by the ovaries and the baby is therefore not made at the fallopian tubes no fertilization takes place then um you suffer from um infertility so when it comes to it affecting the baby the answer is no not really as mentioned it's at the level of the cervix so the baby is sitting in the womb even women that are found to have already developed cancer and they do uh, fall pregnant then depending on the stages and the age and all of that you find that women are allowed to actually deliver and um depending on the stage of the of the cervical cancer that has developed we can then do uh, a cesarean section and then deliver the baby and at the same time if a hysterectomy which is removal of the womb if the woman has a cervical cancer that is still can that can still be surgically treated by removing of the womb including the cervix then um during the cesarean section we do what we call a cesarean hysterectomy where we take baby out that's a c section and we take the whole factory out which is removing the fallopian tubes uterus and the cervix at the same time so but baby does not come out now infected uh with hpv or um with with the cancer itself or anything no so baby actually uh remains safe so i'm going to get just the closing comments from our our two doctors um and i think the one thing that i want to ask is um we'll start with you dr smelela what can i what can we do as um you know young women to not only educate our friends and family members um possibly older you know Uh, our parents grandparents women in our lives who don't necessarily know much about hpv and cervical cancer um how do we protect one another educate one another and also then with the policy issues that dr q spoke about um the shortage in the in the hpv vaccine what what can you do as a as a person like you and the ladies in the call to get me you know, a little bit further to helping cervical cancer No in in there's there's a lot of things that 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 we can do. I believe each and every one of us can use our social capital uh, in many ways. I mean you 
have started this platform. It's a great platform uh, for women uh, to talk about these issues. I think the most important thing for me is also to simplify and demystify the issues around sexuality for women. And I'm excited to see your generation doing that. You know, in my time, you would never have this kind of conversation with an older adult or, you know, we we pretend these things don't happen. So I would, from a policy perspective, you know, insist that teachers teach comprehensive sexuality education. So that's the first thing. Uh, and it's, it's happening in South Africa, but it's, it's sometimes not clear. But as women, educate one another, uh, embrace one another in a sense that let's not judge. You know, when somebody has something they don't understand, explain and encourage, you know, guide them to where they need to go and double check, you know, that the information they've received from their doctors is in line with what you know, because there are lots of stories there that you sometimes can get from, from practitioners who are not up to date with information, who might not really understand themselves what they're supposed to do. So let's form that community of women and young girls that take care of each other. Your daughters, let them be the advocates as well. Teach them, you know, I, I, I often feel that adult women, we engage in these activities, sexual intercourse, but we want to pretend that this doesn't exist. So we don't want to talk to our children about it. There is nothing that is for me so devastating as seeing a young girl in your family, you know, being exposed to all these things and you're all quiet. You're not doing anything about it because, well, we can't talk about it. So let's make this a routine conversation. Talk to your friends, talk to your, your, your colleagues, you know, let them educate their daughters, con, you know, be an, a, a group of advocates. As women with so much social capital, I think be advocates and challenge uh, governments to provide these, uh, these services that are women-centered, that are people-centered, and, you know, working with the institutions that we work with. You know, we are now starting a big movement driven by women who have survived cervical cancer to challenge the, the, the developed countries to provide the vaccine at a cost that African countries can, can afford. So let's, let's take it to, to, the, to the, the private sector. Why must it be a thousand rands? Why? When you know a large percentage of your population is, is poor. I know that people will say, well, government promised this, but you can bring some value, you know, or you, we can co-partner, you know, if we vaccinate one in the private public sector, you vaccinate another one in the, in the private sector for free or something like that, you know. So there's a lot of things that we can do. Uh, and first and foremost, I think it's information, but information turn it to education and communication and embrace each other and make sure you all come to the same level of understanding of these issues. So that's, I think, is a very uh, a powerful way of getting all of us well looked after. If you know you've got a sister and a friend and a community of women who you feel safe to talk to about these issues, let's expand those cycles of care. Thank you.
Yes, um, thank you so much, Nontlantla, uh, for having such a wonderful platform. And um, I really hope and pray that um, it can reach uh, the millions of women out there. And again, thank you, Dr. Simelela, for sharing your knowledge, all the implantation that has been uh, uh, shared today. And to all my women, you know, I, uh, we all know that prevention is actually better than cure. So we don't have to wait until we have symptoms. That is uh, as far as cervical cancer is concerned. By the time we have symptoms, it's, you know, a, a bit late. And, um, I, I think the main take home message, uh, for, uh, all the women is to really say, as I say, um, also in my uh, videos, uh, just to mention, I've got a video on uh, cervical cancer on Family Matters Fertility Center on YouTube. And the main take home message really is as long as I am having sex, I must have a pap smear. So if we can send that message out there to say you don't have to wait for symptoms, go and get yourself tested. If you are having sex, you need to be responsible for yourself and get that pop smear done. Thank you so much, Dr. Q. I think that's the perfect place to end our conversation today. I'd like to thank both my guests for their contributions. It's been invaluable. Your expertise and your experience uh, were very helpful today. Thank you both for joining me today. And to those who are listening, if you have any queries or questions about HPV-related services, we have those available on our platform. And you can either jump onto the Zoe Health app or find us on the web at www.zoehealth.com. Join our community where we will continue this discussion. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please visit our website, www.zoehealth.com, to share and rate this podcast and to access more content and resources like this. Join us on our next episode as we bring you more of the women's health and wellness topics that matter to you.